we've arrived here in Singapore. We've come from Argentina. We had to go via Honolulu, which, uh, was, was, <laughs> which was terrific, which is why it's taken us slightly longer than we expected. Uh, we were offered tours around Argentina, and uh, which we were unable to uh, take, but we're going to go back and do that next time. We're joined here in Singapore by Ravi, um, who's going to introduce himself in a second. And as always, he's going to tell us what we're doing on the, uh, the evening before the, uh, the all-important podcast. So, Ravi, firstly, thank you very much for uh, sparing the time and uh, entertaining us. Um, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about where we're going to go, uh, that'd be terrific. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Tom and, and Brian. Um, I'm glad you guys arrived safely. <laughs> I'm sure it must have been pretty, pretty challenging in Honolulu, um, trying to get off the island and the sun and the sand and the beach and stuff. But um, So I'm Bravi Kanisvaran. I'm a medical oncologist at the National Cancer Center Singapore. Um, I do predominantly GU oncology. I also do uh, some geriatric oncology as well. So uh, those are my uh, special interests. And I'm glad you guys are here. I'm happy to host you all tonight. So we'll start off probably with uh, the famous Singapore chili crab. Sounds all right. Um, yeah, so we're going to go to Jumbo Chili Crab Restaurant. That's just by the beach. And uh, they have this huge, you know, kind of uh, succulent Sri Lankan crabs. Yeah, there are no crabs around Singapore. They are the smaller flower crabs. So you actually get the big Sri Lankan crabs here. <laughs> imported crab, so, I love it. Imported <laughs> crabs, yeah. I think you, we missed giving you that last year. I Brian, think so, I think so, right. During Esmo Asia. <laughs> yeah, too short, too short. Your, your trip was too uh-huh. short. So when Tom comes, you, you guys, I mean, when you guys are here, we are you there. Are Don't forget, now. we are there. So. Yeah. Yes, you are here. So, <laughs> so we're gonna do crabs, and then we're gonna go for a night out at Marina Bay Sands, and there's this. Um, it's huge. This this iconic building, which many of you may have seen in pictures, you're gonna to get to see it. And uh, that's the one have with the time, boat guys. on top, right? Looks like there's a boat on top. That's, oh, the, that's one the one with the. Boat I know on that. Top. I know that. Awesome. So, Ravi, thanks for joining us. So let's talk a little bit about GU oncology in the region. And I know in that Asia-Pacific region, there's obviously a lot of countries. And I know Singapore is sort of a medical hub, as I remember hearing when I was there. So can you talk a little bit about how that works, how research and, and sort of the challenges with, with integrating different countries into that? Yeah. So Asia, as you can imagine, is a pretty hetero- heterogeneous uh, region. So you have East Asia with, uh, you know, Japan, Korea, uh, Taiwan, and where, you know, income levels are pretty high. Uh, medical standards are very high as well. So, you know, there are a lot of ongoing trials. A lot of those sites there are part of multi-center trials because uh, they have good trials set up and uh, a, a pretty strong history of doing uh, studies in that region. Singapore is part of Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia is slightly less uh, uh, developed. And you're right, we are a medical hub for this region, not just Southeast Asia, but also South Asia, which includes uh, India, Bangladesh. So Southeast Asia includes Malaysia, Indonesia. Um, but we do get uh, medical tourists all the way from the Middle East as well, um, partly because of challenges from um, getting visas issued from that region to go to the US mm. or Europe. So they find it easier to come to, to Singapore. So we've been pretty fortunate um, in terms of uh, uh, how well medical care has been developed over the years. Um, our oncology training is actually pretty much similar to that in the U.S. 
we do a similar residency program. Actually, it is ACGME accredited, so mm. it is pretty much the same as what you guys do in the US. And um, we spend at least a year out. Um, so I did my fellowship at, at Duke, North Carolina, um, before coming back to, to do GU. So I was with Dan George and his team there. Ravi, can I ask you a question um, about what's, yeah. what you, how you approach and how quickly you adopt what we would describe as NCCN or ESMO guidelines, and whether they're widely distributed and whether there's a lot of flexibility in the way you approach patients? So um, great question, Tom. Actually, NCCN is probably the most uh, widely used guideline here. I think for the reason that it's probably the, the uh, most uh, quickly updated uh, guideline with uh, any drug that's been approved by FDA being on it. So in the region, NCCN is probably uh, widely used. We did try, um, at least in Singapore, to come up with local guidelines, but there's always a challenge in trying to update and getting the group together to update. Similarly, in the region, uh, we have tried. So what's going to happen now is that ESMO has come in a big way to do pan-Asian ESMO adopted guidelines. So they've done it for a few other tumor types. For GU, I'm going to leave that uh, for both uh, prostate and RCC. And that was supposed to have happened last month. But, you know, unfortunately, due to COVID, it didn't happen. Uh, but it will happen uh, end of the year in November, just before ESMO Asia. So we get regional GU experts from uh, six different countries uh, coming together to come up with guidelines for Asia. We hope this will help kind of tailor the guideline to what Asians really need because NCCN uh, is very broad mm -hmm. and uh, there are certain idiosyncrasies about the Asian patient that it doesn't really... Uh, Ravi, target. can I ask you about the... Are there differences, um, ethnic differences in, in Asian population between... Um, drugs, TKIs, immune therapies, chemotherapies from Asian compared to European or American or patients? Is there, is, 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 are there geographical yeah. differences or ethnic differences associated with toxicity? Yeah, so that, that is uh, what we have observed, actually. So particularly in GU, I guess I can comment on two particular drugs where we have clearly seen uh, the differences in terms of toxicity. So in kidney cancer, for example, with the wedge FTKIs, and specifically sunitinib, um, uh, most Asians cannot tolerate the 50 milligrams four weeks on, two weeks off. Uh, that's been a huge challenge, and we have data which we have published. The Japanese have a lot of data they have published as well. Uh, very often, the starting dose is 37.5 milligram. Uh, we get very bad uh, palmoplantar dyserythrosis or hand fruit syndrome, um, you know, blood pressure issues, and cytop the diarrhea, right? Cytopenias as well. Yeah. So we, but we didn't really find a lot of pharmacogenomic uh, differences. Right. So we think maybe it's a constitutive thing. We are generally smaller, and these are all fixed dose drugs. So maybe you know that's why Caucasians tolerate better than but, Asians. But excellent outcomes. I mean, in the early axitinib days, the the Japanese subset couldn't be titrated up, but they almost uniformly had excellent outcomes. And so my, my related question is if we're talking about frontline RCC, and, and I'm not sure exactly what you have access to there, maybe you can comment, but if you would people lean towards or away a, a TKI IO regimen for this toxicity reason? Um, somehow for excitinib, the tolerability is a bit better than sunitinib. So in my experience, at least we've been able to give the 
you know, full dose five milligrams twice a day. And uh, in terms of accessibility, yes, I, at least in Singapore, we have uh, access to uh, pembrolizumab and and ipinibo, mm-hmm. and and I use uh, both regimens, so I I don't stay away from the IOTKI combination for toxicity reasons. I, it's pretty well tolerated. IOs in general are tolerated <clears throat> quite well. Do you think the TKI tolerance influences? You said it doesn't influence you. Do you think it is that true for most GU providers in the region? Because axes may be a little yeah. better tolerated in general. Yeah. 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 Ravi, you said there were two yeah. special considerations for you from an Asian population, and you talked about VEGFTKI yeah. as the first. What's the second? Yeah. Oh, the other one was actually chemotherapy, more in prostate cancer. So uh, we the Asians in general suffer a lot of uh, neutropenia from docetaxel in prostate cancer. So in the past, for at least the CRPC studies, and again, um, we have published this, uh, we have data also from the Koreans and Japanese that uh, the 75 milligrams is, is tough. So we start at 60 milligrams per meter squared and we push up. Um, and we routinely have to give primary prophylaxis if you're going to go to anything higher than 70 milligrams per meter squared, which is not so common in, in Western populations. So, Ravi, yeah. what's your current yeah. approach to frontline urothelial cancer in Singapore? So um, we still go by, you know, cisplatin eligibility. So um, it's either gem cis or gem carbo. I, I don't really use uh, those stents and VAC. Uh, over here because it's pretty tough. Uh, patients here don't really tolerate very well. I think one of the issues about chemotherapy in Asia is also there's a bit of a taboo, um, more so than I, I, I would say in Western populations. A lot of Asians are averse to chemotherapy. There's a lot of uh, um, you know traditional um, ideas that, that um, patients don't feel that if they get on chemotherapy, it's probably a death sentence. So gemsis is and all gem carbo is very well tolerated. So that's, that's currently first line. And second line, when are you introducing immune therapy? Do you have access to infortumab bedotin? Are you using odifitinib? Yeah, so um, we, we don't have access to both over here at this point mm-hmm. in time. Um, but I think odifitinib is coming into the picture. We were part of the, some of the trials, uh, especially with the Bayer FGFR. Uh, but uh, with EV, we are not. We have not used EV. Neither will be part of those trials. But we are looking at starting one in the new adjuvant setting. Will so you ad- no access to? Will you adopt drugs. maintenance evalimab? Yeah, that's that was pretty amazing stuff, uh, Tom. That you presented. What a self-serving and, uh, question that was. <laughs> hold on a minute. I know. Hold on. That's not hold on. That's, it was, okay. was a self-serving okay, answer. It was, as well. it was a bit leading. It was a bit leading, Ravi. I'll, I'll I'll cut myself off for a few minutes, and then you <laughs> tell Brian what you think. I'll go to the shops for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, it, it, that was pretty awesome, right? Because nobody expected that uh, switch maintenance will, will turn out so well. And uh, shortly, you know, before that, you had the 361 coming out uh, pretty negative so far. So uh, this, I, I think that's something we may adopt, but uh, we don't have access to Evolumab right now at this point. But it's coming soon, uh, according to Merck. And Ravi, talk a little bit. Is there a, um, in other countries we've virtually been in, you know, they have um, sort of a multi-country or, or pan-country research collaboration set up and as a way to do IITs, you know, the, the Spanish, the French, et cetera, and many others. Yeah. Is, is something like that exist or is there a vision for that in, in your region? 
Yeah, so actually we are in the process of trying to get something like that going on. So um, in discussions with uh, some of my colleagues in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, Hong Kong um, and Korea to kickstart the process. Many years ago, we did do something for RCC. Um, it was also a, a kind of pan-Asian collaboration on a database. and um, But that project ended because there was lack of funding. So it involved about five countries at the end. So we are looking at, at uh, collaboration. I think um, in Australia, they have a pretty good trials group. Yeah, ends up and, for sure. Uh, they've been trying to engage um, us to join in some of their trials as well. Um, they did Enzomet, they have Enzomet, mm-hmm. so I think they're kind of building from there. So we look. Ravi, we heard we heard in in South America some really challenging barriers to doing trials. Some of them financially orientated. Um, there are challenging barriers in the UK, of course. Um, what are the barriers to doing investigative initiated research in in Asia Pacific and particularly in Singapore? Yeah, so I guess the biggest challenge, like you rightly mentioned, is going to be funding. Um, it's not easy to get funds to do trials, especially innovative ones that are going to be, you know, practice changing mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think for most countries in the region, we start at, at the base of trying to do database related stuff. Uh, my personal experience, I've only successfully got funding for um, a prostate cancer trial when ARV7 was still pretty hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, we just finished that trial. But apart from that, most of the time, because of funding, um, the trials that we do in the region are generally, you know, multi-center, uh, uh, in, you know, pharma, yeah. you know, trials. Yeah. It seems like the, yeah. the model for success has been, you know, banding together like ANZIP has done and others, you know, across countries or within a country. And, and I think it seems to give more standing to the group. They can produce bigger data sets and then obviously developing Absolutely. a reputation, which which takes time so that there's some trust level so that you can get the funding. That is, as we're starting to virtually tour here, that's, I think that's a theme that we've seen. I don't want to put an advert out for our next podcast or the one after next. We are on our way to see Ian Davis to talk about that and Zap. Uh, oh, um, cool. that sounds like an advertisement, but it yeah. was. I'm not doing very well on this podcast, am I? <laughs> <laughs> Self-promotion and advertising in the same podcast. We've agreed not, not to be encouraged at the beginning. Ravi, a couple of more um, just really quick questions. I'm interested in molecular diagnostics. Um, um, we um, in different parts of Europe and the United States at the moment are going through this challenging time to say, how are we unifying pdl one testing? Um, are we doing foundation one for TMB? How are we going to measure FGF? Um, we've just seen a positive trial for P10 in, uh, in prostate cancer. It may or may not. Yep. How, what's going on from, from a molecular testing perspective? How are you doing that how quickly are you turning it around and what's the future in asia pacific are you going to have molecular testing hubs one or two of them or is it going to be widespread how's that going to work all right so um currently we still depend on um you know the larger groups like foundation or garden uh, for liquid biopsies for example but uh, foundation for you know tissue molecular testing and there is, you're absolutely right, there are issues with turnaround time because it's sent to the US and then we get the result two weeks later. So we have uh, actually um, com- companies that have come up locally. Uh, one of them is a company I work very closely with uh, to do some of these testing uh, called Lucent. So they are able to do some of these tests with faster turnaround. And in terms of take-up rate, you're absolutely right. It's it's 
been picking up uh, quite rapidly. The only issue is again reimbursement, so it is limit restricted to folks who can afford to pay for these tests, and these tests are not cheap. So um, over you know a longer duration, obviously getting um, in-house kind of uh, testing would be ideal, not just for turnaround, but also in in trying to get e economies of scale and getting the cost down as well. Brian, do you have any more questions that you'd like to ask? This has been good. It's been interesting. You know, it's been interesting to see how research runs and some of the barriers in the different geographic regions. But, um, you know, having been there again, it sounds like from a medical hub standpoint, Singapore is certainly the center, you know, sort of the epicenter of, of medicine in the region. I'll, I'll advertise for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, it's been Thank interesting. Um, Ravi, we, we're supposed to be going to Japan. Is that right, Brian? Um, we're not sure where we're going next, actually. It's Why don't we go here. to Australia next? Why don't we go to Australia? It's Ravi, probably the easiest. Let's go to Australia. We've got, a, <laughs> we've got an invite to Australia, which is important. Um, um, so, um, Ravi, I guess we're gonna, we can go to any Australian cities directly from Singapore, can't we? Uh, to most, yeah. You can do Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, Perth, uh, Darwin. So, yeah, nearly pretty much. Well, we're very lucky to be in this hub. We're going to pop over and see Ian Davis very soon indeed. Cool. It's a seven-hour flight to Melbourne. Um, say that hi. sounds like send we my will send to your regards. It's quite a distance. I didn't realise it would be so long on the plane, Brian. I better take a book, otherwise you're going to chat to me all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Ravi, thank you very much for your attention and your great presentation. Thank you so today. much, guys. We really guys. appreciate it. Thanks, Ravi. And we're going to see right. you soon, okay? Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Good night. Bye.